amen, and good morning once again, church. I want to thank you, Jesse, for your leadership in Paul's absence. Paul is with Abby, a visiting family in Ohio today for this uh, Christmas and New Year season, and we also have uh, the kids with us in our fifth Sunday service today, so welcome, kids. We're so thankful that you are here, and we're thankful also for Lynn and all the people who work with our children during the year. Thank you for your service and your ministry of love. This morning, I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you that we will partake of the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of the message. And so we invite all of those who are baptized believers in right standing with their local church to, to join us in the observance of the Lord's Supper. And we are picking up in a Christmas story after Jesus has been born. So it's, it's kind of a Christmas story. It's still in Luke chapter 2. And, and if you could step into the life of a pastor for just a moment, every Christmas you are trying to figure out what you're going to say about Christmas that you didn't say the year before that you said about Christmas. Because we've got one Bible and it tells us the Christmas story in a variety of ways, but at some point it becomes a bit challenging. And this has been a story that though it comes after the birth of Christ, it's one that I've wanted to share during the Christmas season. And I was debating, am I going to do a New Year's message or am I going to share this message? And this message has been on my heart really over the last several years, and it just hasn't made it to the pulpit as I've sort of evaluated uh, what the Lord would have me to preach. And I felt today was the day that God wanted me to share it with you. So uh, we're picking up after Jesus has been born. You remember the story well. Mary and Joseph go to the temple for uh, the dedication of their son, for Mary's purification according to the law, 40 days after childbirth, and the presentation of the firstborn to the Lord, also in accordance with the law. And so these things are happening in the temple, in, a, in their obedience to God, and then we, we get this story breaking in at verse 25. Would you hear with me the word of God? And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, as we examine this text this morning, God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would be our teacher. Lord, that, that you would 
loosen these lips, that you would uh, allow heaven to speak, God, not just this human to speak, but God, that, that I would communicate well what you have said to us in your word, and that we would be compelled uh, to live more like Jesus in this world. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you four things very briefly from this text this morning, and the first is this. God uses His Word and everyday obedience to show the world who Jesus is. I, I get that from the fact that the Holy Spirit is revealing something to Simeon. He is telling him something specific, and the people, Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, are being obedient in going to the temple consistent with the law. You see in this story, there's there's a man in Jerusalem, not a priest, not an angel, not Gabriel, just a man in Jerusalem who is righteous and devout. How do we know? He's looking for the consolation of Israel. What are you looking for this morning? You know, everybody's looking for something. Everybody's waiting for something. Everybody's staking their hope on something. And the Bible tells us the one who is righteous, the one who is devout, is the one who has staked their hope and they're looking for and they're hoping for on not what they can do, but on what God must do for them through Jesus Christ. He's looking for Christ to come and to bring the comfort that Israel has sought. The Old Testament anticipates a son who would be the king of Israel and put an end to her wars and her suffering at the hands of other nations and political oppressors. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he saw this Messiah, God's anointed one. But the Lord's activity doesn't stop just with his revelation to Simeon. Look at verse 27. Simeon came in the Spirit to the temple, meaning that the Spirit of God led him there. In verse 25, then, we read that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. In verse 26, we, re we read that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. And then in verse 27, we read the Holy Spirit is the one who leads him into the temple. Get this, at the exact time that Mary and Joseph are there to present Jesus and fulfill the commands of the Old Testament. So the Holy Spirit's been saying, you're going to see the consolation of Israel. You're going to see the consolation of Israel. And then Jesus is sent. And then Jesus just so happens to be brought at the time that the Spirit of God just so happens to lead Simeon to the temple. In this text, we are seeing the intersection of divine guidance and human obedience. Both are operating in the same passage. Mary and Joseph were just doing what? They were just obeying God's word. They were just doing what they were supposed to do in accordance with the law. And as they obey, God himself brings in Simeon to bring to us additional confirmation that Jesus is who God promised he would be. Let me ask you in the way of application this morning, do you remember that God still works through the everyday obedience of his people? There's, there's something that God is calling you to do in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your finances. There's, there's some piece of your life that could be better aligned to the will of God. And did you know that when we step out in obedience, God meets us there and He 
uses the obedience of his people to reveal to others their need for Christ and how beautiful and wonderful he is. So I, I, I am not the Holy Spirit, in case you had any doubts about that. But the Holy Spirit is here. And the Holy Spirit, if you know Christ as your Savior, will point out to you, will show you areas where you can obey. And as you obey, God consistently throughout Scripture will work through the obedience of His people to help others see Jesus is who they need. Secondly, God's salvation is Jesus, and trusting Him gives us peace even in death. In verse 28, Simeon takes Jesus into his arms, and in verse 30, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation. This means that salvation is not just something out there in heaven waiting for us. Salvation is union with Jesus Christ, our Savior. Salvation is Jesus. The consolation or the comfort of Israel comes through God's promised Son and His Deliverer. The oppression of God's people will cease forever, finally, when Jesus returns in judgment of all of His enemies and in vindication of all who belong to Him by faith. But we don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to know the peace of Jesus as our Savior. Jesus says it this way in John 6, 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. When? Right now. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. As Simeon takes Jesus up into his arms and blesses God, we must be a people who take Jesus up in our hearts as the only hope of God's salvation, our source of unfailing comfort and consolation in a world that's hard, in a world that's just plain difficult, in a world that is opposed to the people of God. You see, when sinners turn from their sin and trust in Jesus, the promise of the gospel is they are born again to a whole new way of life. 1 John 5.12 says, The one who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. When you have Jesus, as Simeon had Jesus, you have peace. Look at verse 29. Simeon says, now you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. Bach says it this way, fulfillment has come in Jesus. The promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus, so Simeon can die in peace. God had told Simeon that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. And so many people assume that Simeon is an old dude. He's just some old guy, just hanging out. But you know, the Bible never tells us that Simeon's old. Now, Anna, who we read about in the next section, we learn that she is quite old. But Simeon, it never tells us that Simeon's an old man. Now, he may have been, but the point of the passage is not that he was old and he had done everything he wanted to do, and so now he could die. The point is that because he has seen and held the promise of God's salvation in his arms, he's ready to go. He's done it all. Simeon understands that knowing Jesus means that death does not mean that he's run out of time to live. He's just got to wait for the resurrection and he will live forevermore. Holding Jesus, the Lord's Christ, brings a peace that allows him to be ready to die whenever the Lord should will it. Because he knows that he is safe and he is saved through Jesus Christ. He is at peace with God, his maker, and his 
Redeemer. Do you have that peace this morning? Do you know that if today should be your last, that you would be in the presence of God your Savior? Do you have that assurance? Do you have that peace? Have you taken up Jesus into your heart and cherished him above all other things? Matthew Henry put it this way, here is a confession of faith that this child in his arms was the Savior, the salvation itself, the salvation of God's appointing. Simeon bids farewell to the world. How poor does this world look to the one who has Christ in his arms and salvation in his view? Is Jesus your peace and your Savior this day? Thirdly, the gift of Jesus was prepared on the stage of world history for all people from all nations. In verse 31, Simeon proclaims that God's gift of his son is not a secret. It's not like God was trying to hold back from us or withhold his son from the world. It is rather a gift that has been prepared in the presence of all peoples, verse 31. The gift of Jesus as God's salvation came at a time when Rome had much of the known world under its control, and there was relative peace in much of the known world. It was called the Pax Romana, for those of you who remember your Western Civ class at wherever it is you took Western Civ. Greek was the widespread language throughout most of the known world, and so there was a common language, a lingua franca. There was a relative peace, the Pax Romana. So when God sends his son into the world at that time, world, the word could spread just like that. Jesus has come. Jesus has come. God's promise to send a son to bring salvation is as old as the first story recorded in scripture. We see it in Genesis 3.15. What the son, sons of Adam messed up, God promised he would send a son to undo and to reverse the curse. And you could see the rest of the Old Testament as a quest to figure out who is this son going to be. And the son is Jesus. God promised Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Not just Israel, but all the nations will be blessed. You say, well, that's just in Genesis. No, it's all over the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 10 says, the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Why? Because the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations. In verse 32, Simeon declares that Jesus is light. Did you know the only way to live in a sin-darkened world is to discover the joy of knowing and living for God by Jesus Christ, the light? John 1.9 says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. When you trust in Jesus, it's like the lights come on. The whole world is darkness, but you don't recognize the darkness because you like the darkness. But when Jesus comes and turns the lights on, you see you have a whole new way of seeing, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of believing, and suddenly the world is turned upside down. God changes everything, and you suddenly want to stop living in the way that the world defines life, and you want to start pursuing God's design on God's terms, all in the power of Christ, who makes you new and gives you light in a dark, dark world. 
this revelation, this light rather, is revelation to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus is not called revelation to the Gentiles because he's not revelation to Israel. But he's called revelation to the Gentiles because the Gentiles did not have the Old Testament or the Old Testament sacrificial system to reveal to them their need for a Savior. So Jesus comes and reveals to all nations our need for Jesus, our need for himself. And he discloses to us, uncovers our eyes to reveal to us what God is like, both in his holiness and in his saving compassion. But Jesus is not just revelation, he is also glory to the people of Israel. Did you know that Israel's glory is not Jerusalem? Did you know that Israel's glory is not Moses? It's not the temple. It's not the law. The glory of Israel is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What makes Israel special is that Jesus comes out of Israel for Israel and all nations. And sometimes we get confused about that. The reason that Israel is so amazing is not because they're Israel, it's because of Jesus. That God was showing us, you're going to get to my son and it's going to be in this way. And that's exactly what happened. And now all people need to believe on that son, not just Israelites, not just Gentiles. All of us need to trust this one son of God. Once more, Mary and Joseph are left in amazement or wonder at the significance of their newborn son. If you read Luke 1 and 2, it's like God keeps adding layers and then there's more amazement and then another layer and there's more amazement. And the layer that we see here is that Jesus will be salvation, not just of Israel, but for people of all nations. And I just want to say, if God didn't keep his son a secret from us, why should we keep him a secret from anyone else? You know, in the church today, there's a, there's a, a tendency to want to have a program to fix everything. Uh, or a program to address everything. But the greatest need of the church is to recognize that we are the program. God's program for reaching the nations is you. God's program for reaching the nations is me. It's in our workplace. It's in the airport. It's in the schools. It's in the colleges. It's wherever God has us that he would cause us to give voice to the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son, has come, that he has been given. And until we get the first program right, no other programs will do. We've got to be the mouthpieces, the, em the emissaries, the ambassadors for Christ our King. Jesus has come. Finally, verses 34 and 35 close with a bit of a, a somber tone. Unfortunately, not all the people who could be saved by Jesus will be saved by Jesus. Many will reject him. What we do with Jesus reveals our hearts. Simeon's last words are directed to Mary. Jesus is the Lord's salvation in the flesh. He's the long-awaited Messiah King, but not everyone will welcome him as their Savior. Instead, many the Bible tells us, will fall down over him. 
Now specifically, Simeon mentions that many from Israel will fall down over him, but we know that many Gentiles fall over him as well. The prophet Isaiah said it like this, He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many will stumble on it and they will fall and be broken and they will be snared and taken. For many, Jesus will not be a sign to follow, but a sign to oppose. From the time that Jesus goes public, have you thought about the ministry of Jesus? How difficult it was? Did you know Jesus, every day of his recorded ministry, faces some kind of opposition along the way? From the time he goes public and calls his first disciples until the day that he hangs on the cross, he is opposed by nearly all the, the leading authorities in Israel. Can you imagine what that must have been like? He's the son of God. He's the king of nations. And he wants these people to be rescued and restored and saved. And at every single turn, opposition, hostility, doubt, questioning. And he never once turned over to anger or to wrath or, or to bitterness or said something that he shouldn't have said. Somehow, because he knew why he had come, he stayed the course in spite of the adversity. Praise God for the faithfulness of our king. Jesus is opposed by nearly all the leading religious authorities, the scribes, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. And then on Palm Sunday, he's welcomed to shouts of Hosanna, God save us, God save us. But just a few days later, the crowds shout out, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus' life would lead to salvation, but his road would be full of pain. Those who are hostile toward God would have their hearts exposed by their hostility to Jesus. Nearly the entirety of his ministry is like a giant two-edged sword to the heart of his mother. Mary would see her family divide over Jesus. His brothers called him crazy. She would see him lampooned. She would see him questioned constantly. And she would know that he was pierced through on the cross for our transgressions. And while it would be terribly difficult, Mary's pain would not be for nothing. The ministry of Jesus would reveal the hearts of many. Bach says it this way, His ministry shows where hearts really are before God. He will expose those who do not believe. But you know what? He'll also expose your need for Christ. And this morning, if you know that you have not taken up Jesus into your heart and treasured him above all other treasures, then that is the need of today. That is the need of the hour that you would treasure Jesus Christ the King. Because the promise is this, those who stumble and fall over him because they're going to have to deny themselves and admit that they need a Savior, they will fall and they will be taken away. But the promise for those who, like Simeon, they, they take up Jesus into their arms and into their heart and they treasure him and they say, I want to give my life for you. Look at what verse 34 also says. It says, Jesus will be the reason for the rise of many. You know what the word rise is there? It's the Greek word anastasis. It's the word resurrection. 
those who take up Jesus in their arms as their only hope of salvation and treasure him above all other treasures, they will be raised up with their crucified and risen king on the last day and glorify him forever and reign with him forever and nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God. So this morning, if you know this king, we invite you as our deacons make preparation for the Lord's Supper, to join in the celebration of the fact that Christ is risen from the dead and He will raise up all who trust in Him. Let's worship Him today. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we thank You for the hope and the promise of the Gospel. We thank You for Simeon who was righteous and devout not because of what he did, but because of who he was looking for. God, I pray in 2020 that we would be looking for Jesus, that we would be looking for how we can better serve him, how we can better honor him, how we can better glorify him, how we can declare his worth in our Roanoke Valley and around the world until he comes. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.